This is the Athletic Lab Sport Performance Podcast, episode number five. This episode features Mike Young, owner of Athletic Lab. You can check out Mike's bio in the link provided. In this episode and in future episodes, Mike will take questions on topics in the field of sport performance and sports science. This episode will cover the use of Olympic lifts in sport. If you're a fan of our podcast, head over to iTunes and give us a review. And send in your question to john.grace at athleticlab.com for future Q&As with Mike. So we have Dr. Mike Young here for our fifth episode, and what we're going to try to do on occasion is tackle one question um, in the sport performance realm, and today we're going to go into Olympic weightlifting. So Mike, give us an idea of why you would use Olympic weightlifting in training. So first off, John, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of Olympic weightlifting. I use it uh, for athletic development and also train people for the sport of weightlifting. Um, I think it's a fantastic subcategory of exercises for athletic development. I think when you look at the movement patterns uh, and the both the kinematics and the kinetics, what's going on in terms of the joint angles and the explosiveness and the velocities of the bar and the body, I think it's very similar to what you might see in some of the highly coordinated actions in sports, <clears throat> especially acceleration and jumping and even to some extent uh, throwing where you where you have these driving actions and powerful hip extensions so i do like to use uh, weightlifting and derivatives quite a bit i'd say they are a focal point of a lot of what we do in the weight room and in a given week for a typical athlete not all athletes but for typical athletes we might even use it as much as three or four times and so in using that, uh, say, the high frequency of the lifts, um, on, say, a general day, um, what would you say in terms of guidelines on the sets and reps of uh, any variation of the lift? So I use the Olympic lifts <clears throat> for what I think they're best intended for, and that's power development. And to, to keep the focus on power development, you have to focus on quality. The quality of the movement, the intensity of the movement has to be there. And for that to happen, you can't move into a, into a extensive fatigue of any kind, really. So we're keeping the reps relatively low. Uh, I will frequently do sets as low as one rep per set, and I rarely, if ever, go over four. Uh, I'd say on average, my sets are probably in the range of about two, two reps per set. Now, that said, I do frequently use a higher number of sets for each weightlifting movement. So it's not uncommon for me to do something like eight sets of two. Now part of that is that we're working across the force velocity continuum. We're starting at lighter weights, working our way up. Maybe of that only about five What would be what might be classically defined as working sets. So if we're, say, doing eight sets of two, maybe only four or five sets are at a, at a top weight. Uh, but those lesser sets or lower weight sets are no less meaningful. We're still moving with intent. We're still trying to work on technique 
and being explosive under a slightly lower, <clears throat> slightly lower load. So in general, I'm following uh, two, I'd say two to four reps, sometimes going as low as one. Uh, my sets are usually never less than uh, six and sometimes as high as maybe even 15 or 20. I have on occasion done something like 20 times one at, uh, at a load of about 75 to 85%. And it's possible to get in a ton of quality work just by inserting a little bit of intermittent rest and keeping the quality of movement and the intensity and intent very high. Uh, so we never, we never run into uh, reps that are performed under fatigue and uh, we can still get in a, a decent volume of work. And so you mentioned there that you do some uh, training at, you know, say 15 to 20 sets of singles. Um, are you using that from a work capacity standpoint um, or for other reasons? And maybe give us some idea of how you can use the Olympic lifts um, for work capacity. So I've, I've used those protocols in a handful of different ways. So early on in the season, I have use what I'd call a, a, tempo, a tempo type workout where we are essentially doing uh, a set of Olympic lifts, a single rep, single rep set of Olympic lifts on a timed interval. And we might do one rep every 45 seconds or one rep every minute. And the Olympic lifts work really nice for that type of format because there's no grinding in Olympic lifts. You can just drop the bar as soon as you're done with the lift. And when used in that fashion, we might start with something as high as 24, 24 sets of one. You're only doing 24 total reps, but it's 24 sets of one. Maybe on a rest interval of 40 or 45 seconds, working up to about 70, 75%. So you're getting in a ton of work in a relatively short period of time. Uh, if you were to take those same 24 reps and split it up into four sets of six, what you'd see real quickly, and, and we can verify this through velocity-based measures, is that the quality of movement and the in intensity, as indicated by bar velocity and power output, would drop off substantially at the last two to three reps of each one of those sets. By subdividing it and adding intermittent rest, you can actually do the same amount of work, maybe even more, in less period of time, but keep the average bar velocity for all 24 reps quite high, and, the, and subsequently the power output produced by the athlete. So that's one way we can, we can simultaneously increase work capacity while keeping a focus on the intensity of movement. Uh, later on in the season, what I might actually progress to after going through more traditional weightlifting set rep schemes, say something like a six to eight times two uh, for, for most of the year, is finishing off the year with singles, uh, singles on a 90 second or two minute rest interval, and getting that load up quite a bit higher, so somewhere in the range of 85 to 90 plus percent. Um, and in that case, we might only be doing six, six or so working sets, meaning at a top weight, uh, and in that instance, we're using it for purely for power development or maintenance of power with uh, very little residual fatigue. So it works really well doing those kinds of set rep protocols later in the year to uh, keep power outputs high while, wanting, while trying to minimize the fatigue so someone can still perform at a high level. Uh, there's a handful of other ways that, I'll, that I will uh, use the Olympic lifts 
to develop work capacity. A lot of times throughout the year, I'll use uh, an EMOM format every minute on the minute or every 90 on the 90. Uh, it keeps the workout moving along quickly, cuts down on some of the chit-chatting that can sometimes be disruptive to the flow of the workout, <clears throat> uh, keeps people very mindful on, on the task at hand, and, and again, it can enhance the density of the workout. So you're getting a lot of work done in a relatively short period of time. Some other methods that I might use are complexing movements. So for example, right now I have a group that I'm working with and we're doing some complexes. We're just starting up the year and we're transitioning into uh, the more traditional Olympic lifts, the classic ones from the floor, uh, power variants. And we're doing clean pulls and power cleans in a, in a complex. So we do a set of two clean pulls and then two power cleans. Uh, by doing that, we can keep the quality high because the clean pulls are a less technical lift uh, while still keeping the power outputs very high. So we're reducing fatigue, keep the power output high. Uh, the technical demand is less on those first two reps. It allows someone to get in more reps at the same weight with uh, equivalent or higher power total power output. So there's a handful of ways you can play around with that. That's a very simple complex. Sometimes I'll use complexes with three or four exercises. I have played around with using complexes of uh, more in a traditional work capacity format. So something like uh, three or four reps of a given exercise for six consecutive exercises all strung together. So for example, something like a clean pull, power clean, hang clean, push press, uh, take it behind the neck, do a couple squats, then a behind the neck push press, and then you're done. So there you've knocked out a handful of sets there. Uh, obviously the load couldn't be very heavy. You'd be working with a load that was appropriate only for your uh, weakest exercise in that entire complex, but you can get in a lot of work that is what might be called meso power, so medium power output on that. You're not high load, you're not super high velocity, but it's certainly uh, something that is greater power output uh, than you might see if we were to do an equivalent number of reps in a traditional barbell exercise like squatting or, or bench pressing or something to that effect. Sure. And to say, move into more specifics on, say, within the Olympic lifts, you have a snatch, clean, and a ton of derivatives. So um, in terms of, say, your coaching philosophy and what you've been doing over the years, um, are you using more uh, power cleans, power snatches, are you using combination of the two? And maybe what are some benefits to using one over the other or both of them in combination? So I'd say I start with... Uh power variations for sure, with the power clean making up the majority of my prescription. Uh, I like it because it is a lot simpler. I like it because you can use a little heavier load. So for most athletes, that makes it a good fit for the training plan. Uh, if we're deal not dealing with Olympic weightlifters, sometimes teaching a snatch can be a little bit more complex or a daunting task. That said, I do like to use the power snatch. Um, it's a super high velocity movement. Uh, when compared to the power clean, I like to use variants of it, sometimes even taking that velocity up a notch and going to a close grip snatch. Um, I will do split variations of the snatch, which allows you to simultaneously work a little bit of uh, unilateral work. Uh, 
but I would guess if I looked at my average prescription over the course of a year for, for an average athlete, I'd say the Power Clean makes up about two-thirds of my prescription for Olympic lifts. I will sometimes throw in the Power Snatch. I will sometimes throw in the Hang Variations. At certain points of the year, especially later on, maybe when we're trying to minimize fatigue perhaps, I might throw in more hang variations because it eliminates that uh, heavier or the uh, slower first pull from the ground, which can place a little bit greater load on the lumbar extensors and, and, and uh, lower extremity. So we can take some of that uh, training load off by just going to the hang and focusing on the most explosive aspect of it. Uh, that said, sometimes I will actually use the full variations even during season and use it as a, as a strength substitute of sorts for more traditional strength training means. So if I want to reduce my, say, heavy pull volume or heavy squat volume, I may very well do Olympic lifts, keep pulling from the floor, and actually throw in a, throw in a front squat, say, for one or two reps uh, at the tail end of my sets. So, for example, I might do uh, seven sets of three power cleans if we're in season, or seven sets of two power cleans, and then those maybe the last two or three sets we just do a front squat on, uh, and then I eliminate I eliminate uh, back squats or squatting on that particular day because I've done enough from my pulling from the floor as well as throwing in that front squat at a reasonably high load that I'm able to maintain my lower extremity strength. So Olympic lifts are so diverse, you have a lot of different options at your disposal. You can really play around with them a lot. Uh, sometimes I will even use overhead lifts like behind the neck push jerks or dumbbell push jerks. In fact, the dumbbell push jerk tends to be one of the first Olympic weightlifting derivatives that I will use because it is so uh, easy to learn. You can take almost anyone and teach them a dumbbell push jerk in a matter of minutes and they can do it safely and with a reasonably high load. Uh, so for that reason, it works really well for athletes. I rarely do split jerks or barbell jerks with uh, athletes other than perhaps track and field throwers because it's a much more technical lift so the time invested to learn how to do it well might not be appropriate for for someone who isn't competing in the sport of weightlifting and so within that response you talk about pulling from the floor um, especially during say power clean power snatch um, a lot, some coaches, not a lot, maybe some coaches would um, throw some objections in there of that the highest power output occurs, um, you know, in the power position or at high thigh um, or even in the hip in the snatch. Um, what, what are some reasons of why you do use the power snatch power clean from the floor? So there's a handful of them. And, and to be honest, I could make a devil's advocate argument for why you might only want to pull from the hang position. But as I mentioned, by and large, I do most of my work from the floor. I think that uh, you get a much more balanced muscular, neuromuscular response from pulling from the floor. Also, if we look at the joint angles and the muscle activations that are occurring from when pulling from the floor, I think it's very relevant for athletic development training. Uh, if we were to just take an Olympic weightlifter or take an athlete performing an Olympic lift, 
pulling from the floor and we tip them over on their side, what it looks like is very, a position very similar to a three-point stance or coming out of the blocks. So I think those fr from the ground positions are very relevant for sport because we see similar joint angles at the ankle, knee, and hip at the start of an Olympic pole as we do during the first step or so of acceleration. Another benefit of pulling from the floor is that we are overcoming the inertia of the bar plus body system. So in the Olympic lifts, when that bar is resting on the ground, uh, we have to get it moving. We have to have what Mel Siff would call starting strength or st static starting strength. We have to move it from a position of rest up to a higher velocity. And that's something altogether different than moving something that is already moving. Uh, if there is a counter movement to it and it already has some velocity to it, as we might see from an Olympic lift from the hang where it's very common to do a counter movement, many times a very poorly, poorly executed counter movement, uh, you're, gonna, you're not going to elicit the same training stimulus as you would if you were pulling from the floor. If you're pulling from the floor, you have to overcome your body's inertia just like you would if you have to take a first step out of the blocks or you have to get yourself moving or you have to knock over a, a lineman right in front of you. And that's different a different type of strength, a different type of power than we might see if we were uh, trying to change gears while we're already moving. That's, that's what we would see in uh, movements from the hang. Um, I do like the hang movements. There's a time and a place for them, but uh, the argument of using them because they are the higher, highest power output portion of a lift uh, doesn't hold a lot of water for me. I think uh, any movement, whether we're talking about throwing a baseball or jumping or sprinting, has segments of lower power output and higher power output. And we don't exclude uh, parts of a throwing action just because the power output is lower for that small portion of the movement. Uh, I think we need to look at the movement as a whole and what's occurring uh, in, in respect to what things look like in sport. And if we do that, there is plenty of value in pulling from the floor. And so you touched on it within that question a little bit of and earlier, different variations within different times of the year. Um, you know, you don't have to go in super in depth here, but maybe when would you use poles? When would you use powers, hangs? Um, say for a typical track and field athlete, which is your primary sport? So I like to start with pulls uh, early on in the year, at least an emphasis in pulls. So we'll do clean pulls uh, quite a bit, and we may transition to using the, the power variance of the full lift. So clean pulls, then adding in some power cleans in there, perhaps in a complex format, per, perhaps on alternating days, maybe as subsequent sets. So maybe we might do clean pulls and then power cleans or power cleans and clean pulls. Uh, as the year transitions, we start to take out the, the uh, pull, pull variants, uh, maybe focus more on the uh, actual lift, the power clean. Uh, from that point, we might do multi-stage lifts. So we could do a complex where one rep is from the floor, one rep is from below the knee, one rep is from the hang, or maybe we do six sets of six sets of two and the first two sets are from the floor, first, second two sets are from the knee and then the uh, third two sets are from the mid hang. 
while still incorporating some stuff, you know, maybe a full day or so from the floor. At that point, we might uh, go to more ballistic activities like the snatch, or we may start to do some lighter cleans uh, after we've worked up to a working range of about 90-95%, 90, maybe we back off and switch the emphasis to power output. Uh, working in the 75 to 85% range for doubles perhaps. Uh, adding in some, some snatches if the person is technically competent to handle that. Uh, I, I do like to use light snatches from the hang with uh, more developed athletes because I think the power output is really high there. Uh, you can look at the bar velocities and see it's through the roof. And if it's performed appropriately, what you'll actually see is, uh, performed appropriately in the way that I like to do it is use the counter movement. So we don't start from blocks, we don't start from uh, static hang position. We start from the standing position, use a counter movement to load the posterior chain, and then very quickly come out of that when the bar's in the hip crease. Uh, you see a very explosive movement, not too dissimilar from what you might see uh, the hip extension involved in, in jumping and sprinting. Um, so that would be the, the basic progression. I don't ever really take out heavier uh, power cleans. They will at least be present uh, about once a week in my typical training plans for athletes that are performing Olympic lifts. But I, that means that I then have uh, two, maybe even three days uh, to do the other things. So I can shift focus over the course of the year from uh, very high load, low technical demand exercise like clean pulls, uh, moving to a larger emphasis on power cleans where the power output is a little bit higher, the load is a little bit lower. We work that load up a little bit uh, and then switching to different positions. So uh, higher positions either to minimize fatigue or to take advantage of things like stretch shortening cycle with the counter movement. Uh, and then in maintenance phases, I will oftentimes just use Olympic lifts as my primary lift. So removing activities that are uh, very fatiguing in nature, re removing or reducing greatly the volume. So perhaps going from three days a week of squatting or lunging early on in the year to maybe only doing that once every seven to 10 days, uh, but keeping Olympic lifts present in the program to maintain the speed power stimulus in there and a lot of times you can hold on to strength values really well just by using the Olympic lifts without and, and one of the benefits is that you won't run into the fatigue that you see in the in the slower lifts because time under tension is so low there's no real eccentric portion to speak of uh, so they there are a lot of uses that you can use them progress them over the course of the year generally from the floor to a, to a variant of that moving moving throughout the year, going from higher load lifts to uh, higher load or higher power lifts, and then uh, backing off a little bit from there. And so, with all this talk today, um, that kind of begs the question: What if we can't Olympic lift? So, whether we don't have the equipment for it, if the coach can't teach it, if the athlete can't do it, what what should we do, and what are some alternatives? So that's a great question and uh, one that I do get asked quite a bit. Uh, as, as you can probably tell, I am a big advocate of the, the Olympic lifts. I compete in the sport myself. I coach athletes in it. I use it for a lot of the athletes that I work with. But that said, I think it would be foolhardy to think that the Olympic lifts 
are for everyone. Uh, for a variety of reasons, there's, there may be circumstances where it's not appropriate. Uh, I'd say in the teams and athletes that I've worked with, there's probably anywhere from 15 to 20% of athletes where for whatever reason, the athlete's injury history or anthropometry or the equipment or whatever it is, it's not appropriate to use Olympic lifts or their variants. In those circumstances, I think we can look at the Olympic lifts and try to take what is valuable from the Olympic lifts and come up with exercises that would be an appropriate uh, substitute for them. And I think what makes the Olympic lifts so valuable is that they can be a heavily loaded lower extremity multi-joint exercise performed explosively. And if we use that same criterion and apply it to other resistance training methodology, I think you have a lot of potential alternative options at your disposal. I don't think they're necessarily going to be the best surrogate or best uh, substitute for Olympic lifts, but I think if you can't perform Olympic lifts for whatever reason, that you have plenty of options at your disposal. Certainly plyometrics are a fantastic means of developing power and you can load plyometric activities uh, by adding a medicine ball, adding a bar to the back, whatever the case is, uh, you're still going to get meet those same criterion of lower extremity, multi-joint, explosive activities by doing back squats or, or between leg forward throws or uh, medicine ball throws for height. The, the key here is you have to keep the quality high, so we're not going to be doing these for 20 rep sets or anything like that. We still have to keep the rep ranges pretty low uh, if we want to focus on movement velocity and subsequent power output. Um, you know, you can develop power elsewhere. You know, I, I know there are several successful programs which don't do any explosive lifting and that they can work, but you have to look at what else they're doing. They're probably increasing their sprint volume or increasing their plyometric volume, and that's okay. There's many, many roads to Rome. I just happen to think, and I believe there's quite a bit of validating research to support this argument that if you have access to the Olympic lifts, that it's not a tool that you should should take out unless there are very special circumstances for it. Uh, so there's a lot of things you can do. I'll, kettlebe kettlebells are a great tool. I will sometimes jump with kettlebells. I will Kettlebell swings are a little bit different training stimulus, but can provide something similar of lower extremity, uh, multi-joint explosive if we are performing them correctly. I think barbell jump squats are great. I think plyometric activities of all kinds are great. I think the multi-throws, which are commonly used in track and field training between legs forward throw with a medicine ball or shot, shot put, overhead back throw, uh, med ball throw for height are all very good alternatives as well. And in fact, with some of the teams that I've worked with, uh, if we say had a practice out on the field where we were away from the weight room uh, and I still wanted to get in a, a training session, uh, knowing that we couldn't do Olympic lifts because we were at a uh, visiting, we were a visiting team stadium, uh, we could take medicine balls and do throws for height or throws for distance, a chest pass throw for distance. And as long as the quality of movement is there and the intent to be as powerful as possible is there, 
think you will see a pretty similar training stimulus as you would for the Olympic lifts. So again, you don't have to use the Olympic lifts. I think if you can, you should, uh, but there are, there are quite a few alternatives out there that, that are available. All right, and that about wraps it up for that one question. Um, so thanks, Mike, for your time again. Thanks, Sean.